This is Fortune's Wheel, a podcast history of the late Middle Ages. I'm your host, Jonathan. This is episode eight, Sermo Lupi ad Anglos. episode, I want to offer a quick warning to those who may have little campers listening in. Today, we will be touching on some themes that you may choose to censor in your own home. Now would be a great time to turn off the podcast and listen at a later time. So if you're questioning it at all here, you know, here's your chance. Okay, for those still listening or those tuning back in later, thank you for joining us. I'm really stoked to tell you about a speech given around the year 1014, back in England. See, I told you we'd come back. See, this speech, well, actually, it's a sermon to be exact, gives us an interesting perspective as to what those on the island were thinking about and discussing with one another during the twilight of the Anglo-Saxon England kingdom. Danish Vikings weren't just at the door, they were through it. After years of pounding on it, they finally kicked it in altogether with Swain Forkbeard's 1013 invasion. Yes, by the end of the year, there would be major events occurring as Ethelred's kingdom slowly collapsed beneath his feet. But this topic is just too important to skip over today. It provides a much-needed context to what the people were talking about and thinking about immediately after the invasion when the entire world seemed to be closing in all around them, when their whole way of life seemed threatened. Today, we break down the famous Sermo Lupi ad Anglos, or in English, the Sermon of the Wolf to the English. I hope you enjoy the show. Beloved men, know that which is true. This world is in haste, and it nears its end. These words began one of the most important surviving documents in Anglo-Saxon history. They were delivered by the fiery Bishop Wolfston, who in 1014 gave a speech that set Ethelred's kingdom on fire. Fingers were pointed in every direction, and though the speech was meant to turn the fingers back upon themselves, it seemed to have the opposite effect. England continued to fall apart afterward. In fact, one can easily argue that Saxon England's tenure on the island was just too far gone to make any semblance of a comeback when Bishop Wolfston delivered this sermon. Wolfston, Bishop of London from 996 to 1002, and then Archbishop of York from 1002 until his death in 1023, sharing some of that time as the Bishop of Worcester from 1002 to 1016. See, he had the ear of the royal court. Assuming the nickname of lupus, which is Latin for wolf, a pun on his name, see, this pun would embody this man's spirit as he fought for a Christian England's spirit 
to survive. Wolfston lived during a tumultuous time, as we already know. From 991's loss to Olaf Tryggvason at Malden that kicked off a just a crippling series of Danegeld payments, to the St. Bryce's Day Massacre, orchestrated by his king, Ethelred II, against all Danes living in, in the kingdom, and then ultimately to the, the relentless Danish onslaught over the last decade. Wolfston must have felt the soul of his kingdom falling deeper and deeper down into the depths of despair. Remember, just a few years earlier, the European world was rocked to its core when drunken Danish Vikings, under Thorkel the Tall's leadership, brutally murdered the highly regarded Bishop Althea, which most certainly sent shockwaves down, in, down his spine as he questioned his own safety. In war, safety is a rare thing indeed. Soldiers, wives, sisters, daughters, sons, from the peasantry to the royalty, it's been long established that they were all in jeopardy. But up until Bishop Elphea, it was considered an unforgivable crime to murder a Christian clergyman under the banner of a Christian monarch, no less. Remember, Swain Forkbeard was a converted Christian. Shockwaves indeed. So we, before we get into the meat of this episode, which is the sermon itself, I do want to say, please go out there, find the Sermo Lupier Anglos. It will be definitely worth your while to sit and read it. I had such a great time reading this over and over and over again to try to understand where this this, this preacher was coming from in, in an incredibly tumultuous time in his country's history. And who knows what was going to happen coming up next, but all he could do is reflect. All he could do is reflect as to how things were going and, and how they got to where they are uh, at this point, which is around 1014. And it's his best effort. And I got to tell you, also, don't just read it. There's a great video on YouTube that I wish I could cite right now, but head out there. Somebody's actually uh, reciting this, this sermon, and he actually has a British accent. So I apologize for my twangy American Midwestern drawl, if that bothers you. But um, let's, let's get into this. Let's break this sermon down. Uh, so fascinating. So as the nearly three decades of almost continuous Viking attacks on England continued, and the Danish king Swain Forkbeard had just taken over England, so we're talking late 1013 to early 1014, Wolfston II, the Archbishop of York, delivers the following sermon to the English people. He says, Beloved men, know that which is true. This world is in haste and it nears the end. And therefore, things in this world go ever the longer, the worse. And so it must needs be that things quickly worsen on account of people's sinning from day to day before the coming of Antichrist. And indeed, it will then be awful and grim widely throughout the world. Understand well that the devil has now led this nation astray for very many years 
and that little loyalty has remained among men, though they spoke well. It's interesting to me that he begins his speech with talk of the devil and how England has suffered from his evil wiles. Who else is responsible for this if not King Ethelred II, the leader of the English over the last four or five decades? I don't know for sure, but to me, could Bishop Wolfston actually be equating King Ethelred II to the devil. Something to consider. So what does Lupus think can be done about their predicament? He says the following. And too many crimes reigned in the land, and there were never many of men who deliberated about the remedy as eagerly as one should. But daily they piled one evil upon the other and committed injustices and many violations of law all too widely throughout this entire land. And we have also therefore endured many injuries and insults. And if we shall experience any remedy, then we must deserve better of God than we have previously done. For with great deserts, we have earned the misery that is upon. And with truly great deserts, we must obtain the remedy of God, if henceforth things are to improve. Lo, we know full well that a great breach of law shall necessitate a great remedy, and a great fire shall necessitate much water if that fire is to be quenched. As he says, in order to put out a great fire, one needs a great amount of water, which is to say, if one commits great sins and atrocities, one must beg for great remedies from God and God alone. This is not a problem at this point that mere mortals can fix. England is suffering from a more divine punishment, therefore a divine solution is needed. He continues, And it is also a great necessity for each of men that he henceforth eagerly heed the law of God better than he has done, and justly pay God's dues. See, each man must heed God better than what he's done so far, he says. Wolston continues, And we have entirely stripped God's house of everything fitting, within and without, and God's servants are everywhere, deprived of honor and protection. So not only have the English drifted from God's mandates in their daily lives, but they've neglected their churches, and they've ceased protecting their clergy. Case in point, Wolfston without question is referring to Bishop Elphea being bludgeoned to death by the bones left over from a feast a few years earlier. See, here's another admonition against King Ethelred II. It's coming. He says, 
what I say is true, there is need for that remedy because God's dues have diminished too long in this land in every district, and laws of the people have deteriorated entirely too greatly since Edgar died. Whew. So, um, he says, since Edgar died. Wow. Okay. So, Wolfston is directly referring to England's drop in moral superiority ever since Edgar died. So, do you remember in the first episode when I mentioned how Ethelred ascended to the throne under, well, pretty shady circumstances, and how I said that that was a different story for another time? Well, this might be a good time to tell it. It's quick. King Edgar was Ethelred's father. He saw to the expulsion of Eric Bloodaxe in the 950s and reigned over a Viking-free and prosperous England until 975 when he died. His eldest son, Edward, assumed the throne. So as far as I can tell, for those familiar with Game of Thrones, um, think Joffrey, and, you know, you may come close to Edward. He was unruly, petulant, and had an incredibly short temper. When Edward visited Ethelred's home in Corfe Castle way down south in Dorset, he mysteriously and suddenly died. So who is next in line of succession? Well, a very young Ethelred II, of course. Wolfston is essentially pointing to the moment King Edgar, who came to be known as King Edgar the Peaceful, He's pointing to the moment King Edgar died that England began its moral decline. This condemnation was a serious affront to Ethelred's authority and legitimacy, no doubt. The sermon continues. And sanctuaries are are too widely violated, and God's houses are entirely stripped of all dues and are stripped within of everything fitting. And windows are widely forced to marry in unjust ways, and too many are impoverished and fully humiliated, and poor men are sorely betrayed and cruelly defrauded and sold widely out of this land into the power of foreigners, though innocent." And infants, infants, are enslaved by means of cruel injustice on account of petty theft everywhere in this nation. So as a point of clarification here, Wolfston, he's correct. Here he condemns Englishmen selling other Englishmen as slaves, not only within the kingdom, but outside to foreign masters as well. And yes, under Ethelred, children were also sold into slavery, even for the smallest offenses, which to Wolfston is, is just reprehensible behavior. It wasn't until Canute's reign that it was outlawed for children under the age of 12 to be sold into slavery. He continues. And the rights of free men are taken away, and the rights of slaves are restricted, and charitable obligations are curtailed. Free men may not keep their independence, nor go where they wish, nor deal with their property just as they desire, 
nor may slaves have that property which, on their own time, they have obtained by means of difficult labor, or that which good men in God's favor have granted them and given to them in charity for the love of God. But every man decreases or withholds every charitable obligation that should by rights be paid eagerly in God's favor. For injustice is too widely common among men, and lawlessness is too widely dear to them. So this is pretty self-explanatory, I think. You know, in Saxon England, the system valued the free man to make his own way in the world. But under Ethelred II, free men, due in large part to the Danegeld payments, were taxed so heavily that these free men chose to divert their post-tax income away from the church and even break the law at times to serve their desperation. Wolfston again. And in short, the laws of God are hated and his teaching despised. Therefore, we are all frequently disgraced through God's anger. Let him know it who is able, and that loss will become universal, although one may not think so to all these people unless God protects us. You know, there's a saying attributed to Marcus Aurelius, the Roman emperor who died in the year 180 and who is actually a leading Stoic philosopher even today, he says, what is not good for the bee is not good for the beehive. Wolfston is basically saying this same thing, though you may not think you'll be affected by this moral, political, and economic decline. Make no mistake, you will be. So here's where it starts really getting interesting, okay? So he's laid it all out there so far. He's made a couple accusations, but I think I think this is the point where Wollstone really begins to put his neck out there, so to speak. He says, For there in this nation great disloyalties for matters of the church and the state, and also there are in the land many who betray their lords in various ways. And the greatest of all betrayals of a lord in the world is that a man betrays the soul of his lord. And it is the greatest of all betrayals of a lord in the world that a man betray his lord to death or drive him living from the land. And both have come to pass in this land. Edward was betrayed and then killed and after that burned. And Ethelred was driven out of this land as well. Man, here he is clearly blaming, uh, blaming the people of England in allowing their leaders to be killed and driven from the land. I mean, Wolfston or lupus, I mean, the full effect of the word wolf here, he's kind of going scorched earth on his countrymen at this point in the sermon. He continues... And too many sponsors and godchildren have been killed widely throughout this nation, in addition to entirely too many other innocent people who have been destroyed entirely too widely. And entirely too many holy religious foundations have deteriorated because some men have previously been placed in them who ought not to have been. 
if one wished to show respect to God's sanctuary. And too many Christian men have been sold out of this land now for a long time, and all this is entirely hateful to God. Let him believe it who will. Also we know, we know well, where this crime has occurred, and it is shameful to speak of that which has happened too widely. And it is terrible to know what too many do often, those who for a while carry out a miserable deed, who contribute together and buy a woman as a joint purchase between them and practice foul sin with that one woman, one after another and each after the other like dogs that care not about filth, and then for a price they sell a creature of God, his own purchase that he bought at a great cost into the power of enemies. Okay, so I think it's safe that we all admit that last part was um, was pretty sickening, and it honestly it was pretty rough to read, you know, or or for the listener to hear, um, no doubt. So it's important to know though that Wolfston is driving the point home that the English, though victims of the Danish and Norwegian Vikings, are by no means saints and without sin themselves. He's using the figurative club and beating his listeners senseless with hard truths that no one wanted to hear. But at the same time, everyone needed to hear. He's trying to impress that their wicked ways have brought them to this point. Their moral decline in recent decades has deteriorated the once strong fabric that bound Alfred's great kingdom together. It's rendered them not victims to the Vikings, but victims of their own turning on their own. He backed this statement up by saying, Also we know well where the crime has occurred such that the father has sold his son for a price, and the son his mother, and one brother has sold the other into the power of foreigners, and out of this nation they went. All of those are great and terrible deeds. Let him understand it who will. And yet what is enduring this nation is still greater and manifold. Many are forsworn and greatly perjured, and more vows are broken time again. And it is clear to this people that God's anger violently oppresses us. Let him know it who can. He goes on to offer one possible outcome of England's sin of slavery, the quote-unquote selling of son by father or mother by son or brother by brother, end quote, and so on. He continues, And lo, how may greater shame befall men through the anger of God than often does for our own sins? Although it happens that a slave escape from a lord and leaving Christendom becomes a Viking. And after that, it happens again that a hostile encounter takes place between former slave master and former slave. If the former slave kills the former slave master, he is not paid. But if the former slave master kills the slave that he had previously owned, he must pay the price to the new master.
Okay, so there's much to be said about a nation digging one's own grave by, you know, forsaking its own people. And here, Wolfston lays out one such scenario involving a former slave attacking and killing his former owner. He says, Full, shameful laws and disgraceful tributes are common among us. Through God's anger, let him understand it who is able, and many misfortunes befall this nation time and again. Things have not prospered now for a long time, neither at home nor abroad, but there has been destruction and hate in every district time and again. And the English have been entirely defeated for a long time now, and very truly disheartened through the anger of God. Alas, the misery and alas the public shame that the English now have, entirely through God's anger. But all the insult that we have often suffered, we repay by honoring those who insult us. We pay them continually, and they humiliate us daily. They ravage, and they burn, they plunder and rob and carry to the ship. And lo, what else is there in all these happenings except God's anger clear and evident over this nation? Did you catch that? Wolfston, without question, bashes King Ethelred's Danegeld payments, calling it, quote, repaying by honoring those who insult us, end quote. He says, quote, we pay them continually and they humiliate us daily. Now pay close attention to this next part. He absolutely unloads here. It is not wonder that there is a mishap among us, because we know full well that now for many years men have too often not cared what they did or by word or deed. But this nation, as it may appear, has become very corrupt through manifold sins and through many misdeeds, through murder and through evil deeds, through avarice and through greed, through stealing and through robbery, through man-selling and through heathen vices, through betrayals and through frauds, through breaches of law and through deceit, through attacks on kinsmen and through manslaughter through injury of men and holy orders and through adultery, through incest and through various fornications, and also far and wide, as we said before, more than should be are lost and perjured through the breaking of oaths and through violations of pledges and through various lies and non-observances of church feasts and fasts widely occur time and again. And also there are here in the land of God's adversaries degenerate apostles and hostile persecutors of the church, and entirely too many grim tyrants, and widespread despisers of divine laws and Christian virtues, foolish deriders everywhere in the nation, most often of those things that the messengers of God command, and especially those that always belong to God's law by right. And therefore things have now come far and wide to that full evil way that men are more ashamed now of good deeds than of misdeeds. Because too often, good deeds are abused with derision and the God-fearing are blamed entirely too much and especially are men reproached and all too often greeted with contempt who love right and have fear of God to any extent. 
because men do that, entirely abusing all that, they should praise and hating too much all that they ought to love. Therefore, they bring entirely too many evil intentions into misdeeds so that they are never ashamed, though they sin greatly and commit wrongs even against God himself. But on account of idle attacks, they are ashamed to repent for their misdeeds, just as the books teach, like those foolish men who on account of their pride will not protect themselves from injury before they might no longer do so, although they all wish for it. See? (laughs) This guy unloaded. Stop this episode for a moment if you need to. Go back and listen to that part again. It's important to understand that Wollstone's words are a direct reflection of England's spirit around the year 1014. I mean, what is left of them? Are they still Alfred's great people? The people who were unafraid to take back what was theirs against the overwhelmingly fierce Viking raiders? He says, Here in this country, as it may appear, too many are sorely wounded by the stains of sin. Here they are, as we said before, manslayers and murderers of their kinsmen, and murderers of priests and persecutors of monasteries, and traitors and notorious apostates. And here are the perjurers and murderers, and here there are injurers of men and holy orders and adulterers, and people greatly corrupted through incest and through various fornications, and here there are harlots and infanticides and many foul adulterous fornicators, and here there are witches and there are sorceresses, and here there are robbers and plunderers and pilferers and thieves and injurers of the people and pledge breakers and treaty breakers, and in short, a countless number of all crimes and misdeeds. And here we are not at all ashamed of it, but we are greatly ashamed to begin the remedy just as the books teach, and that is evident in this wretched and corrupt nation. Alas, many a great kinsman can easily call to mind much in addition which one man could not hastily investigate how wretchedly things have fared now all the time and now widely throughout this nation and indeed let each one examine himself well and not delay this all too long. But lo, in the name of God, let us do as is needful for us, protect ourselves as earnestly as we may, let we all perish together. You know, here, Wolfston is, it's almost heartbreaking. I mean, the man is pleading with his countrymen and women, things must change or we will also most certainly fall. Jumping a bit ahead here, we'll wrap this sermon up. He says, But let us do as is necessary for us take warning from such. And it is true what I say, there is great need for us to take thought of ourselves and to intercede eagerly with God himself. And let us do as is necessary for us, turn toward the right and to some extent abandon wrongdoing and eagerly atone for what we have previously transgressed. And let us love God and follow God's laws and carry out well that which we promised when we received baptism. 
or those who were our sponsors at baptism. And let us order words and deeds justly, and cleanse our thoughts with zeal, and keep oaths and pledges carefully, and have some loyalty between us without evil practice. And let us often reflect upon the great judgment to which we all shall go, and let us save ourselves from the welling fire of hell torment, and gain for ourselves the glories and joys that God has prepared for those who work with his will in the world. God help us. Amen. I really hope you enjoyed today's episode. As I said at the top of the show, I can't express how fun that episode was to learn about. I mean, I'm a sucker for a good speech, admittedly, but this one to me was not only really telling of the time, but it also forced me to reflect upon my own time, 1,006 years later. I would love to hear your thoughts about this speech, too, so head over to Facebook, just search for Fortune's Wheel Podcast, and Twitter, at Wheel Podcast. To share your thoughts. Thank you all for downloading and listening. I am determined to grow this show, so I ask that you share this show with those you know. If you like what you hear, please leave a rating and review on your favorite podcast app or site like Apple Podcast, Podcast Addict, Spotify, Breaker, and Anchor, among others. You can also email the show at all lowercase letters fortuneswheelpodcast at gmail.com. I encourage questions, book recommendations, differing perspectives, and even suggestions for topics covered. Again, thank you. On the next episode, we will finally, finally, see Saxon England come to an explosive end. We'll take a look at some of the House of Wessex's last gasps at power for quite a while at least. Canute II will stretch the meaning of the word great, and we will return to our clever queen, Emma, and see how she navigates these perilous political waters over the next couple of decades. I can't wait to tell you about it.